Live Podcast presents History for the Future. Lessons from a Rabonia trialist. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the release of Nelson Mandela. Most of the others sentenced to life imprisonment in the infamous Rivonia trial were released four months earlier after 26 years in prison. Andrew Mlangeni is one of the last two surviving of those Rivonia trialists. It was early in the morning. The street is quiet. When she came out, she shouted, Papa, 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 started to cry. Went back into the house, told her mother and everybody, everybody woke up. In this fifth part of the podcast series on his life, which has been compiled by Pepper Green, Mlangeni recounts how the release from prison after those 26 years came about and what it meant for those at home. In 1985, Nelson Mandela, recently released from hospital and moved to separate quarters in Polsmore Prison in Cape Town, approached them with an offer from then-Justice Minister Kobi Kutsia. Mandela's comrades would be released to, in a way, test the waters. If the country did not erupt in flames, or further flames, the government could perhaps safely release Mandela himself. But Mlangeni and his comrades did not trust the offer, much to Mandela's disappointment. We, we were saying, among other things, that if we accept the offer, what are people going to think of us? If we accept the offer, what are people... They think we are traitors. Uh, they think we have sold out. And, uh, and one, of main, one of the main reasons why we could not accept it. What are people going to think of us? What kind of... Leaders are these. They, are, they accept to be released, whereas one of them is still behind bars. Winnie Mandela, Madiba's wife, had been briefed on the offer, says Mlangeni, and supported it. In fact, she had by chance sat next to Kobi Kutsia, then Minister of Justice, on a flight to Cape Town in 1985 on her way to visit her husband, and it struck up a conversation. It was probably a key breakthrough in the process. Winnie was told of the offer, and she also thought it was a good idea that more offers are going to be released and will join the forces that are struggling, strengthening the forces that are struggling for freedom. Towards the end of 1988, Nelson Mandela was moved from Polsmoor to a warder's cottage on the grounds of Victor Fester Prison outside Paul. Partly it was to lay the ground for negotiations and for his release. Partly too, though, it was to isolate him, although Mlangeni and his comrades did see him on a regular basis. Madiba was then removed from Polsmo uh, to Vitafastan, away from us, where he could not be influenced by anybody. Whenever... Madiba had to give us a report. They would uh, put us in, trans- transport us in a, an ambulance, an ambulance, so that the media outside should not suspect anything that that vehicle is carrying important people. They think that they were carrying a uh, somebody who's probably going to the hospital, etc., etc. At uh, Victor Fester, where Madiba was kept, 
This fellow was looking after him. That fellow was James Gregory. Chris O'Brant, the warder who had looked after them on Robben Island and then Polesmore, and had forged a close and empathetic relationship with all the Ravonia men, was still in Polesmore. Mandela also had a cook who provided beautiful food, Mlangeni says. At this stage, the discussions between Mandela and the government had progressed. They were no longer between him and Kobi Kutsia, but between him and a team from National Intelligence and the Justice Department. Key members were Fanny Fandomeva, the Director General of the Justice Department, and Neil Barnard, then the Head of National Intelligence. Those were the chief negotiators of the government. Whenever they, the government had proposals to make, they would discuss with Madiba. And Madiba, as usual, would say, no, let me, I must report to the comrades and get their views. Incidentally, when the four of us met Madiba, they then realized, oh, it's difficult for us to know who is against this idea and who agrees with it. So the next meeting with Madiba, they took us one by one to see Madiba, to get the report, so that they know who is against the suggestion that we should be released and Madiba remain behind. In that way, they knew that, oh, so-and-so is against this, so-and-so is agreeable. They knew that, for example, Raymond Moshaba was agreeing. He says they should have long to come up with that idea. Yet the three of us were still against it, but Raymond was agreeing to that. In the meantime, Mandela had insisted on the release of other prisoners. One was the trade unionist Oscar Petter, who was in hospital after having a leg amputated due to diabetes. Another was Jafta Masimolo of the PAC, who was actually the longest-serving political prisoner on Robben Island, having been sentenced about a year before the Ravonia trialists. He was tragically killed in a motor accident in 1990, shortly after his release, in circumstances that the PAC regarded as suspicious. In late 1988, the four Ravonia trialists, Mlangeni, Sisulu, Mklaba and Kathrada, met with Mandela again at his Victor Fester cottage. Governor Mbeki had been released the year before due to ill health, as had Dennis Goldberg, the only white Ravonia trialist who had served his sentence in Pretoria Central. He was released in 1985. Ultimately, Madiba says, Chaps, I, I think we have reached an agreement. They have agreed they will release the four of you. Last month, a lady, Wilton Mukwai, uh, Jeff Masemula, Oscar Mpete, Kathrada Sisulu, the four of us including Jeff Masemula and, yeah. and, 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 uh, and uh, yeah. Oscar Mpeta mm. and Wilton Mukwai, who was not in the Rivonia trial. Yes, he wasn't in that trial. He, he was, was not in our yeah. trial, yeah. yeah. But he should have been... If he did not go to, to location to see his girlfriend, he would have been arrested also at Lillis uh, Leaf. <laughs> um, the agreement was, Mandela told his comrades, that the government would test the waters, as it were, to see how people would react to their release. We have been taken as feelers to feel the temperature, to feel and see how people are going to react, the country is going to react. Uh, we thought about it 
that after Madiba had assured us that this is definitely an agreement that we have reached. He assured us, otherwise we would not have accepted that. He said, it definitely fails, although I don't have it in writing, but uh, it's definite that they, are, they will release me after a month or two after they are released. We are really tired ourselves, so tired of prison life. And we agreed and said, all right, we'll see what happens. Tell them that we are agreeing uh, to be released and that you'll follow later, not very long after we are released. The pain of separation from family continued to rankle. In September 1989, Mlangeni's twin sister Emma died after an illness. His wife June had applied for permission for her husband to attend the funeral, partly so he could perform what his biographer Mandle Matabula describes as a traditional Sutu ritual conducted by the living twin at the graveside of the dead twin. June had come to see him in prison herself to break the news to him, according to Matebule. Emma's death was so devastating to me, wrote Mlangeni later. I cried more than I had cried for all the other deaths. I felt like a part of me had been taken away, that my other half had died, and that I was no longer myself. He was denied permission to attend the funeral. But less than two weeks later, on the 10th of October 1989, Mlangeni recalls that Christo Brandt, their wardrobe in Palsmore, told them, Chaps, I'm told you are seeing somebody very, very important tomorrow. I want you to put on your best. At that stage, the prisoners were already allowed to receive clothes from outside. And in fact, every time they went to see a doctor out of the prison, they dressed in civilian clothes. Often they traveled in an ambulance to avoid being spotted. On that day, they tell us we are seeing somebody very, very important. They don't tell us who it is. And they say, you must put on your best clothes. But they were best clothes we had. Are we seeing a minister? Brand says, no, I don't know. But I'm told that something very, very important. And indeed, in the morning, as usual, we got into the uh, ambulance drove us up to Vitafeste, where we found Madiba already waiting for us. But when Madiba told us of this decision arrived at, which we accepted, we must just uh, make sure that we assure the people also that we have not sold out, we are not sellouts, but this is a definite agreement arrived at between ourselves and the authorities. We were taken to Victor Feste. Madiba informed us of this. And uh, <laughs> when we were about to be to go back to uh, to Portsmouth, we are told, hey, 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 the media is full outside. We don't know where they got the news from. The media is full outside, and uh, we, we've got to wait until the path is cleared. Mlangeni and Ahmed Kathrada were studying at the time. They were both due to write exams. Again, they were lying. At 8 o'clock at night, they asked us, by the way, while you are waiting for the path to be cleared, for the media to disappear, to go away. 
What would you like to have for your dinner? We all asked for steak and chips. They also asked for a TV. First item on the news. The government has decided to release from prison the following people. Susulu, blah, 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 ourselves. And Mandela will be released a little later. Thereafter, they said to us, chaps, the media has left. <laughs> they want us to see the news. Listen to the news. So you believe there was them? No yeah. media outside. They wanted to make sure and also to watch our reaction. What was their reaction? We, we were happy because it was now announced publicly. The only thing we did not know when we are going to be released. Obviously, uh, they wanted us to see the news and to see our reaction. We already no longer been called prisoners. We are Mr. So and So, shaking hands with everybody. What us? Yeah. You must have felt quite a sense of victory after all those years. Well, we did feel that way, although we thought it was a waste of time. This decision is something that they should have taken long ago. That's how some of us felt. So much time has been wasted, more than a quarter of a century in prison, when this decision could have been taken long ago. Problems of South Africa would have been resolved long time ago. We had to wait for more than a quarter of a century for them to arrive at this decision. The excitement and apprehension had to be contained because Mlangeni's blood pressure shot up, as did Kathrada's. But they controlled it, my dear, and brought it back to normal. Already a day after the announcement, uh, Mutaledi and uh, Wilton Mukwai were brought over from Robben Island to Polsmo to join us. There were other hitches, though. One was a huge stay-away organized by the trade unions for the day they were supposed to be released. The other was that the prison authorities initially planned to take them home by road. This they refused. We were not traveling by road. We came down here on a military plane and we demand that we be flown. We said, keep your release. We have already spent so many years, more than a quarter of a century. We are prepared to spend another quarter of a century, if necessary. Following day, Pretoria has agreed that we must be flown, but there must be strict conditions. Those conditions were that they must be at the airport long before other passengers and sit at the back of the plane so they weren't seen. And it was a commercial flight, not a military one. When they arrived in Johannesburg, they were driven to the prison known as Sun City in Diepkloof near Soweto, where they found Masimola already there. I think it was on the 14th of October uh, that the strike took place, organized by Kosato. Everybody was satisfied that it was peaceful throughout the country. Same evening, they informed us, chefs, tomorrow morning, very early, you go into your homes. They arose at 4 a.m., washed, dressed, and had breakfast of an orange and yogurt. They were all allocated separate vans to take them to their homes. Four of them were going to Soweto. 
Mlangeni, Sisulu, Mkwai and Motswaledi. All that was arranged and uh, so we got to our homes early in the morning. Was your wife expecting you? They expected us two, three days earlier after the news, before the announcement uh, on the TV, on the 10th. Mm. People expecting Mm. us to be released any time. The news had leaked Mm. out that they are definitely coming out. By the 10th, it was confirmed. Mm -hmm. So they were expecting us any time. Although they didn't know exactly mm-hmm. when they were waiting for the strike, because I just like to be yeah. over to see whether it was peaceful or not. How did it feel to walk into his house after 26 years? I don't know if I'll be able to describe the feeling. The first day was difficult. A large number of people, students, elderly people, they started at Mzimshope, where Alas was staying. From there, they came to Susulu's place. Large number of people. My street was closed on both sides, that side and that side. They had to open, the police had to open to allow people to go through. But when he came home, his family, who had been waiting anxiously for days, were exhausted and had fallen asleep. I took a stone through on, on the roof. They were up the whole night, so that in the morning they were still asleep. Sylvia had the stone and said, who is this person throwing stone on The street is quiet. It was early in the morning. The street is quiet. When she came out, she shouted, Papa, 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 Papa started to cry, went back into the house, told their mother and everybody, everybody woke up. And big excitement, they opened the gate and the police came and uh, took my parcels, my luggage, my uh, card box, put them all in the house and they left. I was now a free man. It was a whirlwind for the released Ravonia men. People flocked to their houses. They agreed to meet the next day at the home of Walter Sisulu in Orlando West to address their supporters there. Our emphasis at the time on which we had agreed, upon which we had agreed, was that we are going to emphasize in our addresses that we found that people were saying liberation before education. He said, no, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. It's a wrong slogan. It must be education before liberation. Did it change the prevailing mood, which had seen long and large-scale boycotts and disruption of schools? Did people listen? Oh, yes. It changed the whole system. Changed Everywhere it was education. The leaders are saying education first. That was Andrew Mlangeni, one of the last two surviving Ravonia trialists. I'm Pippa Green, and in the next and final podcast, we will explore Mlangeni's contribution and ideas in the new democratic era. This podcast was researched and compiled by journalist Pippa Green. The podcast was edited and packaged by me, Jean-Michel. And for more interesting podcasts, please visit lifepodcast.fm and subscribe. History for the Future. 
Lessons from a Rebonia Trialist is presented by Live Podcasts. For more of great radio and podcast content, visit livepodcasts.fm.